0: So, do Irish farmers see the same thing? We spend a lot of time talking about climate policy in this country, but rarely talk about what farmers are actually experiencing. Are weather patterns changing? What are they noticing? How does that change the way that they farm? Dr Sinead Mellott is an academic researcher who spoke to Irish farmers in the West and the southwest as part of an EU-wide study about how they saw climate impacting on their farming lives. Good morning to you, Sinead.
1: Good morning, Philip. How are you?
0: Very good. This wasn't the main focus of your research, but in the detail of those conversations that you had with farmers, there's evidence of the changes that they have noticed. What did they tell you?
1: Yes, so this survey, so we did a national survey in 2019, and that was with 270 farmers in Ireland, and we also did personal interviews. Now, if you remember, 2018 was a year of extremes in terms of weather, And this survey was conducted then in 2019. So what the survey showed was 35% were concerned with severe weather events, and they were concerned with it impacting them in the future. And they were most concerned with storms, uh, drought and flooding, and almost half had been affected by severe weather events. So I suppose um, what they said in the personal interviews was the weather was the number one challenge that they faced. And one dairy farmer that I was speaking with said that if the dairy farmers were given a choice between the strong milk price or good weather, eight out of 10 would take the weather because it impacted everything.
0: That is so interesting. So I suppose they it? were because
1: seeing that a big change.
0: I was going to say, did you notice how that challenge translated or did it translate into stress and financial pressure? That line has given up the ghost on us. That is very, very disappointing and quite annoying. Sinead, are you back with me there? Yeah. Sorry. I'm did, back, Philip, did, did, yes. you, did you hear my question to you? Does that challenge... I didn't hear the question. Does that challenge translate for farmers into stress and financial pressure?
1: It does. So, for example, if you've got long winters, it means the animals are indoor and that puts a strain then from a financial side in terms of fodder shortages. It makes planning really difficult. And also, if you've got, for example, storms, you might have building damage and that puts an extra strain and financial stress on the farmer as well. So on the other hand, then, if you've got the dry summers, it's um, you've got, which is good for, I suppose, the West Coast because it's normally wetter. And um, so they're able to have more fodder and prepare for the winter. On the East Coast, it brings up other challenges uh, where the ground is drier.
0: You obviously had full and frank conversations with all of the people that you talked to. It's interesting that you didn't in those conversations use the term climate change. You spoke to them about severe weather events. Do you think that that helped the conversation flow?
1: I think it did. It it was actually something that we consciously did at the time. There was a perception amongst farmers that they were to blame for climate change. So it was something that we um, consciously used the word extreme weather, because extreme weather is something that um, they see every day. They check the, the forecast every day and they make all the decisions around it.
0: That is interesting, isn't it? And I suppose
1: in Ireland, it's, it's something that comes up in conversation all the time. We, we're always discussing the weather. when we're, we, You know, I suppose um, it was definitely a, a conscious decision on our part and it did help the conversation.
0: Gordon Bromley, uh, Dr Gordon Bromley, is a lecturer in physical geography at the University of Galway. He joins us on the line now as well. Good morning, Gordon. How are you? Good morning, Philip. I'm very well, thank you. Uh, remind us what the jet stream is, but more importantly, Gordon, Tell us what your work says about how it is changing and why.
2: Yes, the jet stream is is a very sharp um, boundary between the cold polar air, so over the Arctic, and then this warm, humid air that comes up from the subtropics. That boundary is very sharp and very high winds um, zip around the planet at about eight to nine kilometres above the ground. So we don't experience that here, but it does drag our weather along behind it so down here at ground level, what we experience in day-to-day weather is in many ways dictated by what the jet stream is doing. And so my work is to provide context, longer-term context, in, in changes in the jet stream and its position and its strength. And really what the climate science community is observing is a weakening of that jet stream and also a northward shift of it because the, the whole climate system is warming up. And so the, the polar air is getting less extensive and the subtropical air masses are getting more extensive. So you can imagine this, this giant wind system just moving up towards the pole slowly. So it's dragging our weather along at a higher and higher latitude, um, which may be part of the explanation for the winter storms being you know, so um, incessant some years. Mm. It just seems like one storm after another, after another, because we're sometimes now we are in the direct firing line of those storms. But it's the weakening of the jet stream which is most interesting and also concerning because I think of the jet stream as this belt around the planet, and it really serves, when it is strong, it serves to keep the cold air in the polar regions and the tropical air in the tropical regions. And so now we're seeing that, that jet stream sort of weakening And that's because of the Arctic is just warming so fast. And you'll see that in media, you know, pictures of the North Pole being without sea ice in the summer and things like that, warming very quickly. So this belt is loosening and it's no longer able to keep cold air up there all the time. And it can be bossed around by weather. And so we get these cold outbreaks of of air that should be at the polar regions and it drifts down over Europe or North America or Asia, causing havoc because Those places are not um, geared up to experience very low temperatures, hence the frost and the snow. um, That's what
0: I was going to come to next. Do these changes explain the things other than the violent winter storms? Does it explain the mild, dry springs, the European-wide heat waves that we've experienced? In many ways, yes.
2: I don't want to oversimplify um, the climate system at all, but this belt, the jet streams, um, they... As they get weaker, they become bossed around by weather systems. So in other words, it can allow um, droughts and high pressure systems to settle over Europe and it can't push them out of the way. So they sit there for weeks and they, 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 uh, that would stop rainfall and therefore usher in a long term agricultural
0: problem, everything we've been hearing. Reading between the lines of this is the message that we should be extracting that the only predictable thing is that nothing's going to be predictable anymore?
2: I like that very much, yes. <laughs> yes, it's, this is textbook response to global warming, and that is the rise in
0: unpredictability. And Sinead, do you think that that is something that the farmers that you spoke to had gotten their heads around, that lack of predictability?
1: Absolutely. And one of the things actually mentioned, and it was touched on in our project as well, was what was very helpful was the weather apps. And if they're able to predict, you know, five to seven days ahead, it's a big benefit to them.
0: Indeed. All right. Dr. Gordon Bromley and Dr. Sinead Mellott, thank you both very much for talking to us this morning.